Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Natasha Allen. Natasha is a partner based out of Foley's Silicon Valley and San Francisco offices focused on venture capital, M&A, and transactions. And I feel very lucky to have gotten Natasha on the show because she just joined Foley and Lardner about two months ago. And we talk about her practice, which is also described as going from garage to global, meaning one of the things she really focuses on is helping startups who are either at their inception or who are very well established. But before we get to that part of the conversation, as usual, I have Natasha share about where she's from. She discusses growing up in Canada in the Toronto area. She walks us through her decisions to attend law school and ultimately to focus on tax. In fact, before Natasha entered private practice, she got her LLC. Lemon tax and worked for a number of years at a big four accounting firm. But Natasha talks about what she did and where she learned tax and then later pivoted to a much broader corporate transactional focus, focusing on VCs and startups. Natasha also talks about what it was that brought her to the U.S. and shares about some of her outside interests, which include triathlons. I really enjoy this conversation because, as you'll soon hear, Natasha has worked in a variety of environments, including founding her own law firm before joining Foley and Lardner. Additionally, Natasha provides a lot of wonderful advice to law students and to anybody else who's focused on the legal career, including some really wonderful advice about the importance of not self-selecting out of opportunities and instead trying everything and just seeing how it goes. I hope you enjoy my discussion with Natasha. Natasha, welcome to the podcast. As usual, we're going to just dive right in and I'm going to ask you to give your professional introduction. Great. Well, thank you for having me. My name is Natasha Allen. I am a corporate M&A startup attorney, which sounds very mixed and convoluted, but essentially my clients are everywhere, anywhere from inception to exit. So startups starting right from the ground zero all the way through to the exit event. There's a couple of things we're going to highlight as you know we talk today, but one is you're relatively new to Foley. I think, what are you in a couple, is it even a couple months in? Maybe two. Maybe, maybe two months in. So I was fortunate to get you on the show this early and we'll talk about, you know, the why. But one thing I know with the practice you've brought to the firm is I've heard the tagline from garage to global. Is that, is that the, did I get it right? You got it exactly right. Yes, exactly right. (laughs) So what we will do is eventually we'll get to your practice and talk about, you know, why it is and how it is that you can describe that as your practice. But let's start back at sort of the beginning, which is where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Canada. So I am actually Canadian. I grew up outside of the Toronto area. So that's Toronto, Ontario. Um, I have four sisters. My mom grew up up on our own. So uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I'm from. Now I do have to ask birth order. So of the four sisters, where, where do you fall? So I am the second youngest or the third, but everyone told me that I'm the mom of the family. Interesting. And that, and not the oldest, that's not, you don't see that every day. No, you don't. Why, why would people tell you that? What were the behaviors you, you must've exhibited? What were they? Uh, probably 
more organized and more to the books than my older sisters, which were more free, caring and, you know, free spirited. But we all worked together. It was a good group of four that uh, all personalities worked well together. That's so interesting. And you're already sort of answering my next question. I like to ask guests. So if I found you in, say, middle school or high school, what kind of kid were you like? What what were you what were you into? What did you like? Uh, so I would say in terms of, I was very book heavy. So loved my books, loved math, um, probably more shy than most people would think as I got further along, got into kind of sports. So later in life, I started to do triathlons and marathons. So more of the endurance type stuff. So things that, you know, kind of, I did one triathlon, an Olympic distance triathlon, still, still aiming to do that half iron. But, um, I like how you added that. Cause you saw my eyes and I was like, <laughs> oh, you just casually threw in that you do triathlon. <laughs> I probably do more training than the than the travel. We might have to later in life meaning though, like as an adult, like what when did you start doing that? Uh I'd say probably two years ago was when it started to yeah, when I was thinking, yeah, this is something I really I wasn't a very good swimmer. So that was one thing I wanted to challenge myself with is like learn how to swim. I often promise we'll come back to topics and I, I might forget to come back, but I feel compelled to stick with my current chronology. So we will not jump immediately to your triathlon or your swimming training, but that is really, really interesting. And I'm maybe we'll come back. We will see. All right. So what was that transition for you? You're, you're in that high school time period, time to start thinking about college or rather. And since now, now I know that you're Canadian, I'm like, is it post-secondary? I don't know, know the right terminology. Yeah. But what were what were your interests when it came time to go to school? I was varied. At one point, I thought I'd be a fashion designer. Then I realized I couldn't draw. So I, was, I said, you know, this is not a career choice for me. Um, I think really when I decided that I wanted to become a lawyer was probably around when I was 15. I think I had mentioned that my mom was a single mom and just kind of going through that whole process of the, the divorce and seeing how things just were not very equitable at that time. It was a long time ago. I uh, just realized that there had to be a better way. And I think that was really what was the impetus behind me going to law school. Wow. And then how does that work? So you graduate from high school and and then what happens? So graduated from high school, I did a honors course. So in Canada, you can go to law school after two years, but I decided to do a full honors course just as a backup plan. Um, so did that in psychology and a sociology degree. And then from there went straight into to law school. Wow. And so did you do the psychology and sociology knowing law school was next? Or did you ever think of doing anything other than going to law school? No, you know, what? I think I really had law school kind of in my sights. I think if I were to, I always joke in another life, I might go back to psychology, uh, just because I do enjoy, you know, industrial psychology, how do groups interact and, and things of that nature. But that would be another life. But I was always on on law and getting through law school. Well, and I'm also sure with the whole client component that some of that interest in psychology still still applies. <laughs> exactly. Well, there was another guest guest on the show, Caleb Burhey, who is out of our, I want to say LA office, labor and employment, but he spent a, a number of years as a, as a therapist before he went to law school. And so we did talk about how I was like, I'm sure there's some overlap there. I think that, I think that matters. So what was, what was law school like? And maybe if you wouldn't mind speaking a little bit to the process, I don't know if it differs at all um, from Canada th- to the United States. Yeah. So the process was pretty difficult. Uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but 
essentially of all my sisters and my family, I was the first one to go to law school and the first one to go to university. So a lot of it was trying to figure out, navigate, um, which, you know, coming from that purview, it could be very intimidating. Um, but essentially the practice, the application is the same. You apply, there's a big system where you apply to all the law schools you want to apply to. Uh, you write a statement about why you want to go to law school and you cross your fingers. Yeah. Well, do you mind saying a little bit more about just about what you mentioned? You're, you're, you're the first um, in your family to go and you don't necessarily have that guidance. I just add, it'd be interesting if you elaborate a bit, because I think a lot of people are in that, that boat, including many of our listeners. And it could just be heartening to hear, you know, what is now, you know, a partner at a large law firm, a very accomplished individual say, yeah, I also had to, to figure those things out for myself too. Yeah, I think if I could go back to my younger self, I would say reach out. So talk to people, even if they aren't within your particular network, try to reach out to as many people as possible, because it doesn't make sense to try to reinvent the wheel. That's why I always try to mentor as many students, high school students, you know, people who are in law school, and uh, try to give them my experience and kind of how do you navigate the system? Because once you go through it, you realize that there is somewhat of a formula that you could follow to make it a lot easier on yourself. Um, but not having that knowledge at the beginning makes it super intimidating. So some people don't even try. Yes. Or you don't realize. And the thing is, if you don't have it and you you know do your best, chances are you'll be just fine, right? That life life will work out. But I know in my capacity at Foley as Director of Diversity and Inclusion, I often have to remind people that not everybody knows that you should try to apply to you know the best school ever. I mean, there's a lot of people who are like, there's a law school over there. I can keep a part-time job. I could still help my family. I could still live at home. And those are real life considerations. Not everybody's like, where in the world, like where in the country should I go? They're like, I'll go over there. It's near my house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've spoken to a lot of a lot of students who have that debate where they're, they say, you know, should I just go to any law school? And, you know, at least I have a law degree and that's sufficient enough. But I tell them you have to make, it's not free, first of all, right? So you have to really think about where are you putting your time and your money and your effort and will it pay off in the future? I think it's a bit different in Canada because maybe there's like 10 law schools. Maybe I'm wrong at this point, but all of them are, I think the systems are a little bit different where it's super hard to get into law school, less hard to get qualified to be an attorney. And I think it's a flip, like here, it's very hard to be qualified as an attorney, super hard, but there's more law schools um, to apply to. Yes. So it's, it's just, the systems are very different. Um, but again, the consideration is you have to think about it's time, it's money, and where are you putting those efforts? Well, and I appreciate you pointing out the difference in the system. So I, I joined Foley from a firm that had a Toronto office. So occasionally I would be you know, in Toronto doing various things, occasionally with law students. And I had to do my best to not say something absurdly American, right? To like for forgetting that the system is is different. Um and you know, the just just where they are in their process is it's similar, but it's as you said, it's not exactly the same. So what was that like for you once you did get to law school? Uh, again, another learning process, right? Uh, whatever you did in high school doesn't always necessarily, or even in university, does not always necessarily translate into how you will succeed in law school. So I think a lot of it was figuring out how do I learn? Uh, what's the best way for me to retain all of this information? And it's not going to be the same as anybody else. And realizing that is kind of half of the battle is, you know, some people love to, to study in big groups. For me, I know I need to step back. I need to think about things, think through things, and then I can join the big group. It's just learning those type of things that work for you. I just nodded my head a lot. You're not the first person to share this, but I think it's so important that it get reiterated repeatedly. I, I think it can be so intimidating starting law school and you're like, okay, this is law school. It's different. I should do whatever the person next to me is doing. And it can take some time to do just what you said, which is to say, oh no, I don't, I don't actually learn the way they learn. Yep. So I don't, I should learn the way I learn. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, and another important thing you said, which I don't know, maybe it'll be a theme for the show. We'll see. But what got you here won't necessarily get you there. So I I have a feeling that you've probably had to learn that multiple times in your career. So we'll see if that theme comes out again. But when you were in law school, did you have a sense as to what you wanted to do with your law degree? Yes, but it transitioned very quickly. So when I went to law school, I had thought that I was going to be a family law attorney, because uh, I mentioned to you why I actually got into law. And then after doing a bit of soul searching and realizing, you know, doing volunteering, my personality is not the right one for a family attorney, just that I would bring everything home with me, I wouldn't be able to do that divide. So for me, you know, I, I had to really sit back and think, you know, this is not the practice area I should go into. So I went to the total opposite. And I went to tax. That is the opposite. That's like the opposite side of the brain. (laughs) (laughs) No feelings, just cash, tax. I know you were like emotions over here and taxes on this side of my brain. Okay. That I did not. And I even know a bit of your path yet. I, for some reason decided I didn't see that coming. (laughs) So, so tell me more about that. What is What does that look like? I don't know if that meant, you know, changing what you focused on during school or if it just meant, I know that when I graduate, I want to do X. What did that pivot mean? Yeah. So it changed my focus definitely in school. I had met a really good, and this is something that a lot of people might touch on too, is that you might meet a professor or somebody in school that really inspires you to make you decide, well, do I want to change my career path? met a really good tax attorney and professor while I was in law school that I thought, okay, I can do this. This meshes with my personality. And so I started to do that transition probably at around like second year. First year is just kind of take whatever under the sun. But second year is when I started to really focus, okay, I want to do tax. I wanted to also do corporate because I wanted to be a very relevant tax attorney. Um, and as I left law school, I realized that some tax attorneys are not very and people don't call on them for business ideas or they don't understand the business aspect of things. So for me, I really want to be that tax attorney who understood the business side as well as the corporate side, or as well as the tax side. That's a really nuanced understanding to have up front though, because, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be, but I think as you highlighted, tax can be one of those service partner sort of, you know, like you can do really well because not everybody wants to do tax, but you know, you kind of, you kind of get that portion of the work when it comes in without necessarily having a lot of your own sort of client relationships or understanding of the broader business. And I hope there aren't a bunch of tax lawyers who got, who've gotten mad at me, but I think because it is so specialized, you can, if you'd like, sort of stay away from the, the bigger picture. Hopefully that's fair. Yeah, you could, you could. And I've, I've touched on and I've met so many attorneys that are both sides, One, some that are really business savvy and understand the business and some that are very specialized. And I think there's room for both type of types of attorneys. But for me personally, I wanted to have an understanding of what's the bigger picture and how, how can what I'm advising a client impact what they're trying to achieve writ large, not just this one piece esoteric thing, but writ large, how can I help? That's still a very sophisticated outlook to have that early on in law school. I don't think I knew what I was doing. <laughs> It's like, I'm going to go to a law firm and do lawyer things. So what happens? You, you know, you, you finish law school and, and then what happens? I finished law school and then the market crashed. So in terms of in Canada, you have to article, which is essentially apprenticeship for a year. And that when I graduated, everything had kind of fallen to the wayside. So there were a lot of you know opportunities where you could volunteer, you could do some criminal law, but I knew I didn't want to do criminal law. Like I said, I, I was focused on tax. So I decided to do a uh, LLM in tax. And that's what I did for the uh, period in which the economy wasn't great. So I get delved deeper into tax. And I think a lot of people know what an LLM is, but we are getting some 
people that haven't even started law school yet or that are in college. So if you wouldn't mind just saying a couple words about what an LLM is. Sure. It's, so it's a, it's getting a, a master's degree in tax. So you're fully delved and immersed in tax. I did everything in this course from uh, transactional tax work. So I did everything from transactional to tax returns. So I had even articles or had worked at an accounting firm. So you'll see kind of sprinkled throughout my career, I've worked at some of the big four accounting firms just with that tax experience. But essentially, it's delving deep into that particular topic. And then when you're done, you're considered to to have a master's or have a an elevated degree in that area. Thanks so much for that explanation. It's really helpful. And I, there, for listeners who aren't aware, a lot of the time when you see someone with an LLM, it's usually in tax. But there are other areas you can get an LLM in, although I do think tax is probably the most common. Um, so you get your LLM. You in some ways, wait out the recession, it seems like. So this is, everyone, this is the Great Recession. So we're talking like 2008, nine. Oh, earlier. I'm long in the two. 2000. Oh, even, but oh, even before that, we're talking like, oh, we're talking dot com. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're talking dot com. <laughs> But no, this is important. There was another episode, um, maybe two episodes before yours with Morgan Tillman, and he graduated during the Great Recession. So, but I think it's so important on this podcast that, and I even mentioned, you know, we do have we have lawyers on who'll talk about the how they were affected by dot com. And it's so important because it reminds everybody that this is what happens. There's these economic cycles, and chances are you're going to be affected by some of them. You know, they're they're, they're going to have a different name, but you make it through that that time period. You get your LLM, and then what happens? And then what happens? So get my LLM. Was working at the accounting firms. Realized that hey, wait, I went through this whole ordeal to become a lawyer. So let's get back on track. So I uh, decided to article. So finally, so I clerked at the Tax Court of Canada. So that was my only position. And then from there, I had to make a decision. It's I thought, do I go back to an accounting firm? Do I go to a law firm? And had decided, again, I had started this whole journey to become a lawyer. So let's figure out what that looks like and let's ride it to the end. And um, was just talking with some people kind of across Canada about how would I transition and ended up at a law firm in, uh, in Vancouver, BC. Yeah. And that was focused on tax in that position? It was in their tax department doing transactional tax work. And that has to have been a useful experience. And just in case the listeners didn't catch it, you get your LLM in tax, you end up working at one of the big four for a number of years before you decide to go, I'm like, oh, let me go back to this practicing lawyer thing, essentially. And then you find yourself in a firm, but after having had years of experience working on tax matters in a bit of a different capacity, was that I'm assuming that time was a useful perspective for you to bring into your practice? It was very good because I think uh, accounting firms work very differently than law firms in that as I was starting out my career, I was talking to C-level executives at large companies, just talking through their tax issues. So they give you a lot more autonomy. So that I think helped me shape the way that I interact and understand how to communicate with clients, despite what level they're at. So it was a really good good experience to have kind of under your belt before you went into the foray of like law law firms. It's funny when I'm talking about, particularly in my my day job, what I do at Foley, I'll often talk about our our cousins at the you know the big four or the consulting firms. And there and there are a lot of things they do very differently than we do. And I've never had the opportunity to work there. Although I will say I'm a bit envious of some of the research capabilities that they have. Because they, you know, some of them just issue these beautiful reports, and I'm like, if only I had a research arm, I could, <laughs> I could do that too. Well, and you know, we have to figure out the best way. So I don't necessarily want to keep marching through chronologically because, as you know, you've, you've practiced for a while and you've had a variety of, you know, private practice experiences. Um, I'd say up until starting your own firm and then joining 
fully. And so I don't know if it would maybe make sense to sort of get your reflections on what I'll call the maybe the earlier years while you were practicing. And if there was anything to either highlight in terms of what you learned, or even as you started making this pivot, obviously beyond beyond tax and maybe and how did that how did that happen? Yeah, so I think the a couple of things I would harp on is not to be too concerned about where you start your career because it might not be where you end up. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think as you grow um, as an attorney, you realize what resonates with me, what doesn't resonate with me. You have more options. I think in the beginning, we're all scared into doing whatever is available and, and that's it. But as you grow in your career, you start to realize, look, I'm really good at this. And so I want to focus on this. And like I said, I went from tax to now I'm a corporate M&A startup attorney, right? I will always be tax-minded. I joke with people, but the way I look at things, because that's how I quote-unquote grew up, was as a tax attorney. But realized that for me, it's kind of was, I wanted to have the interaction with the clients and I wanted to be a part of the deals and in the action. And so that's why I transitioned my career. That's really sage advice though. And I think there's definitely something to be said for when you first start your legal career of you have to do something. And so you may you may not know what what you like, but but as you get those opportunities and you start like you said, you start to see well what am I what am I curious about? What am I good at? What am I interested in? Being able to focus on that more. And I realize for some people that's a privilege, right? At least at one part of their career, but you know, getting what you can out of each each stage. Although I do think and I'm just going to harp on this for a moment. I don't know that we always give ourselves permission to do what we're good at. I think sometimes we feel like, okay, but I'm good at that. I now need to go learn that thing I'm really not good at. Horrible at exactly. Yeah. And there's something to that as well. But I do think we often will overemphasize the what we're not as good at instead of being like, oh, I could get in this other lane yeah. and I could kind of just run because <laughs> I'm good at this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and could you say a bit more about so how that transition for you started? Was it a matter of, I don't know if you got a new opportunity or if you just had the chance to start work on working on broader matters to get that exposure to more of the broader M&A side of things? Yeah. So I would say that it wasn't oh, very easy. <laughs> it wasn't an easy path, but uh, in terms of just figuring out. So I, like I said, I always wanted to parallel corporate and tax. So just started to emphasize more of the corporate work that I'd be doing and, and seeking out those things and those opportunities for M&A at uh, the big accounting firm. I was a consultant for the tax side of M&A transactions. So for me, doing those larger transactions was kind of already in my DNA. It was now looking at the corporate side of it and how do you quarterback these large transactions. It was it was an interesting transition. I think I think a lot of people want to put you in a box. So once you say you're this, then for you to get out of that box, it's very difficult to transition other people's minds. I may have been ready to kind of go and flip into my next career, but it took people a little time to to kind of get used to. Well, actually, wait, she does have what it takes to be a corporate MA attorney, even though she had started her career in tech. Yeah, that's such a great point. Okay, a couple things. One, how did you get to the US? When does when did that happen? So it's almost a decade ago. Ago. We were just, <laughs> my husband and I were talking about that. Uh, so really, it kind of has to do with the way we live our life. So my husband always wanted to work in the US. He wanted to be in California. This was his thing. And so the way that we've always lived our lives is if you want to do something, you do it. You know, you can always go back to where you came from. But if an opportunity arises, you take it. So we had an opportunity to move here. He got a great job. And, you know, I was like, let's go. He followed me across Canada. So I was like, sure, I can go to California. That's not that's not too horrible. So we packed up our bags and we we left. As you said it's been a decade. So that was 10 years ago. 10 years. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure t- time flies. And then we may pick up more. And I, I do want to talk a bit about when you started your own firm. But in general, can we get into a little bit of the weeds of 
tax and M&A transactions. And I'm not quite sure where to start, but I am thinking of that law student who's like, I hear the words of what she's saying her practice is or what she used to do. Yeah. But what does that really mean? So, and I'm sure you've gotten this question, particularly from students before. So maybe in the future, you can just send them this episode when they ask you. (laughs) But But what does it mean you're actually doing? And you know what? I'm actually getting ahead of myself. So maybe restate your practice, the one you just stated 23 minutes ago, and then break down what what does that look like? So what are you really doing day to day? Okay. So day to day. So like I had mentioned, generally, I am a corporate attorney and that can have many different facets. But for me, it's startups. So anywhere from individuals just thinking of an idea. So they haven't even formed a corporation. They're just thinking of, you know, I think I can get some traction in this idea. How do I get started? So I help advise those clients in terms of what is the best practice? How do you form your organization? How do you work with your other, you know, co-founders to to make sure that whatever you're setting up is something that can, you know, sustain the worst of times, right? I think as attorneys, sometimes we have to think of, well, what if things go wrong? (laughs) Which some people think that's very pessimistic, but that's what we are, that's what we're thought out to do is to think about, okay, when things go wrong, how do you navigate those systems? And then in terms of, you know, as you move along what I call the corporate life cycle, you have companies that have reoccurring revenue, they have reoccurring customers, so they have a whole myriad of different issues that come up. So whether it be, how do I draft a SaaS agreement or, you know, software as a service agreement, Uh, we have employee disputes, how do we deal with employee disputes? We have, uh, you know, maybe they want to do something where they're a larger organization and they want to sell off a piece of their organization maybe not sell the whole thing. So really, it's a matter of, I'd say my day-to-day is mainly advising uh, clients and helping them to navigate all the different things that they encounter. M&A on the other side is, is stands for mergers and acquisitions. So those are when you are ready to be bought, or if you're a buyer, when you're ready, um, uh, you know, or if you're an acquirer, when you're ready to buy something. Really working through, you know, buying an organization, figuring out what are some of the skeletons in the closet before you buy those organizations, um, and figuring out kind of what specialists do you need in order to help you navigate and, and of lay out for your client, these are the exposures that you're going to be getting into. And this is exactly what you're buying. Well, and I can imagine those two sides of the coin you just outlined, they very much complement each other, right? Because if you're able to help somebody start, and I know you're not always joining people at the inception, but conceivably, so like you said, you go from idea to maybe someone who's advising at a very large corporation to potentially buying or selling of that organization, you can help with all of those things. Exactly. <laughs> and then and then say a word about the tax side, though, because I don't know that I've had anybody in the podcast capable of doing this. And I, I want to take it to that 101 level, right? Just the like, and because you have this or- this company, there's tax-related issues. So how do, I don't know, how does that manifest? I'm just thinking of back to that law student who hasn't had exposure to this. Like, what does that mean if you're doing tax-related work, um, you know, for a corporation? Yeah, so what they say, the certainties in life are tax and death. So tax kind of touches on everything. So it could be anywhere from the founders trying to make sure that, you know, when you acquire your shares that you're not going to trip up and have a huge tax bill. It could be anywhere from trying to plan how to be more efficient and effective in terms of how you structure your, whether it be your organization, how you structure a particular transaction. The, you know, the code has a whole huge host of regulations, rules that most people don't want to read, but there's a lot of 
good stuff in, in that legislation that can help you to navigate and understand how do you uh, make a transaction more tax efficient. That's typically how I like to call it. It's just making things more tax efficient. That makes sense. And um, I appreciate you describing that because like, I just realized I have to ask some of those questions because I want to provide value, particularly to the law students. And I apologize. I'm going to jump around a bit because I've decided we are going back to the triathlon discussion. Like that's that's going to happen. But before that, and to all the listeners, you know, I would really encourage you to look up Natasha's bio on Foley.com or to find her on LinkedIn. You'll maybe see why we kind of hit on the things we did during our discussion. But where I want to also pick up is I know that prior to joining Foley, you were founding partner of a firm that you'd started with Nicole Hatcher, who is another partner who recently started Foley as well. And I wonder if you could say a few words about starting that firm and then your decision to join Foley and what was attractive about Foley and Lardner. Yeah, so Nicole and I had met at a prior firm, and we were both heading up very large groups in that organization. So part of it, I think, is what you had said is, and what I always touch on is, you always, I always question whether I can do this, and and that experience taught me you can do this. So we decided to open up our own firm and make it the firm that we wanted to be a part of, if that makes sense. So we wanted it to be our own, right? So we were lucky to have, you know, women, minorities, like our firm was small, but I call it small, but mighty. We were doing things that you'd usually find in larger firms. So we were doing the M&A transactions, corporate transactions, working with startups, doing venture financings. And so it was a great experience to kind of build out what you wanted to see. And that informed us to make the decision to come to Foley. We knew exactly what we had built. We knew exactly what we were looking for. And I know it seems very arbitrary, but in terms of the people we met, we thought, okay, this is the environment that we could thrive in and that we were seeking to kind of form ourselves. Very collaborative. People are always willing to raise their hand to help out because the way that our firm worked is that everyone was collaborative. You know, if somebody was drowning, it didn't matter who you were, you were always going to step in and try to help out. That's just the way that we found was the most efficient and effective way to work together as a team. And at Foley, we we met a lot of people and consistently across the board, Nicole and I were like, these people are really fantastic. I think that's right. And I'm not saying that just because we're on the podcast, but, but also I know, you know, from my, you know, relatively limited perspective, because of, of course, at some point we all get worried about, you know, things that are exciting when we have new attorneys join the firm. But, you know, this is an audio medium. So people, you know, didn't know this, like you know, you're, a, you're a black woman and so is Nicole. And one, for you two to start your own firm, that that's really something, you know, for me also as a you know black woman who used to practice that's not something that I would encounter every day but yeah. also just candidly we were excited to add two more black women partners to Foley and Lardner so it was just particularly for me as director of diversity and inclusion <laughs> Um, and so, you know, we we have a lot of the same issues related to wanting to, you know, grow our numbers of diverse attorneys as many other large law firms have. Yeah. But that was tremendously exciting for you all to join and also tremendously exciting to expand the firm's footprint in California with your your skill set. So I just know there's been a lot of excitement with you all because you came over with you know a relatively larger, you know, group of people who all started together. It wasn't it wasn't just the two of you. <laughs> yes. And it seems like it's been really, really fantastic and a lot of energy around it. So hopefully it sounds like you found it to be be the same, but I can't stress up. I'm like, we're just so excited that you're here, Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. And I think also the other thing is that 
Foley has a deep bench of, of people who have a lot of very great knowledge, you know, industry experience, have worked, you know, within the government, outside of the government, within health. So they have not only just the legal, but they have the actual working knowledge of what happens in these organizations, which I think is, you know, I haven't worked at every law firm under the sun, but the ones that I've worked at, it's it's very rare that you see that great mix between legal and actually practical experience that you can bring to your clients to say, look, not only did they go to law school and learn about this, but they've actually lived these things. So I think that was another thing that's, I don't know, unique, I think, to Foley. Yeah, that's so important. I'm so glad you highlighted that. Okay, we'll see where we go in these remaining minutes, but let's do the circle back. Okay, you you mentioned later in life, I started doing some more endurance related things. And you, you casually mentioned triathlon. Um, I will note my husband has toyed with the idea of triathlons, but it's the swimming for him too, because he can run and he can bike, but he would really need to go to like elementary basic level swimming. Tell him to do it. <laughs> to do it. <laughs> you know, I really, I really will. But it's so funny. So when you said that, I was like, I know this narrative. But so tell me about that. I mean, you're, it sounds like at the point that you started doing this, you were still at a large, a very large firm, but it was be- it sounds like it was before you'd, you'd launched um, your own firm and certainly before you joined Foley. But tell me more about this. What what piqued your interest to, to do that? I think it was the challenge. Like I said, I, I love the water, but I was never an efficient swimmer. Like I didn't know all the strokes and how do you do all these things? And so I thought, you know, well, if I throw myself into this, I'm going to have to learn to swim or I'm going to drown. So it was one of those things where I was like, you better learn how to swim. Wait, did you sign up because then you'd have to learn or what did you learn and then sign up? Signed up. Wow. How much time? Give me some details around this. You're like, I'm doing this. I can sign up for. So I gave myself leeway. <laughs> I gave myself leeway. Yeah. So the idea, was that we were going to do a half iron. I think it was in September. We did an Olympic distance to try it out in, I think it was May to just try it out and see, you know, if I could. Tell me what that means. Tell me what I I have a rough notion of what, yeah. Tell me what the different lengths are for the different lengths. Olympic distance. I think you, I have to go back. You ride 50 kilometers or 50 miles. Sorry, I'm converting. (laughs) Give me 50 miles. And then you run 10K. But before you do that, you swim. I think it's almost a mile, just short of a mile. That's far. I think that's far. I think a swimming for a mile is far. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what it was. I'm I'm horrible at this. And so... You know, for me, once I got out of the water, it was, that was done. I was like, yay, <laughs> everything else was great. But yeah, so it took a lot of effort. We still do the swimming. So I try to swim three, two to three days a week. So I go in the morning, you know, for about 40 minutes. And then on the weekend, it's an hour swim, but go to, we have like a, a pool really close by, try to, to do that. In the summer, when the, the weather's better, we they have open water swimming classes and courses you can go to. So try to do that, but really staying in the water and keeping it forefront. Because like you said, I love riding my bike. For me, that's I feel like a kid when I'm on my bike. So for me, it's not much of a grind. And running, you just got out running. <laughs> <It's>, you know. <laughs> Maybe this is me just trying to get tips for my husband. But did you literally like you signed up and then you also went to swimming lessons? What did you what did you do to get more proficient in swimming? Yeah, so signed up. Uh, started with a so they have like this master swimming class. So I was like, okay, let me try this. It's so funny. When I first started, I joked that I'd swim 25 meters and I felt like I was a smoker. I couldn't, I was gasping, hanging onto the side. I thought I was dying. Now I 
can swim consecutively, probably 500 meters, like, you know, back and forth. One class, they were like, okay, you swim a thousand straight through. And I was like, I can never do this. And I was fine. So it's kind of one of those things where you just learn how to be efficient. I think that's the best thing about all these endurance exercises is that your body will adapt. That's what I think interests me the most about it. Yeah, that's amazing and really inspirational. And then I'm not asking you about this only because it's interesting because it is, but also I just think it's so important for people to hear lawyers prioritizing other interests and also prioritizing their health because obviously as a profession, that's something that we really struggle with. So could you could you comment on a little bit about how you sort of found the time to do that while also balancing what I assume is still a very busy schedule of you know client demands? Yeah, it is. It's tough. I would have to say it is tough. But like you said, if I'm not healthy and I'm not in a, a good health state, then what good am I to my clients? So that's kind of where I draw the line that, you know, if I were to go 40 minutes at 5am, nobody should be looking for me at 5. I'm not an ER doctor. So I shouldn't be, you know, nobody needs to find me at 5am. So typically, that's when I, I go and I'm, I'm a morning person for so for me to get up at that hour and kind of do things, that's kind of how my rhythm is. But I think it's important. I think it's important to try. And sometimes it's super hard. And sometimes we do get tied to our desk, but you just have to shake yourself out of it and be like, No, I'm going to make continue this commitment. So you know, don't beat yourself up if you fall off, but make sure you get back on. Absolutely. We may be kindred spirits with that. I'm also an I'm an early and I've, I've come to realize, so there's many people listening who probably just naturally aren't, and that is fine. There are different types of people. <laughs> exactly. Please don't email me saying I can't possibly wake up that early. But there, you know, so for every, what is it? There's larks and there's night owls. And so if you're a night owl, that's your biorhythm. I got you. But yeah. yeah, I'm a workout, you know, get up at five something, work out at six, because then, like you said, nobody's looking for you. You've gotten that time for you. Yeah. And now you can go about your day. But I just think that's so important what you said. And there is this level of don't take yourself too seriously, like definitely prioritize your health, but hopefully don't delude yourself into thinking you don't even have like 30 minutes yeah. for you. And if you don't, maybe there's some other things that need to be yes. prioritized. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and you mentioned that you didn't make it to the half of the Ironman. Is that, is that at all? Is that like off the table now? What's the no. other goal still? That's still life happened. So we had a, not to get too, but we had a tragedy happen in the family. So I had to decide if I was going to, it kind of happened a week before. So I had to decide, do I do this or do I go kind of take care of family? So I had decided that, you know, look, family is number one. Fast forward, the pandemic happened. <laughs> that was put on hold. And then fast forward, uh, I have a daughter. So now we're trying to like figure out how do we do all the training with her? So, but it is going to happen. It'll happen. I love that. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, you're a lawyer. You're not actually a triathlete. So it'll happen when it when it happens. Exactly. You're not you're not sponsored and getting paid. <laughs> no. <laughs> I always say I just got to finish. I don't have to win. I just have to finish. <laughs> so I think goal. that's that's fantastic. As you can probably tell, the listeners can probably tell. So I've shared. I I definitely have some sort of very nerdy health and wellness leanings and interests. I have a particular fascination with endurance athletes. I have little interest in doing it myself, but I have, I have a great respect for it. And it's like you said about the body adapting. I think there's so much we can learn about ourselves when we're really pushing ourselves physically yep. that you, there are probably lessons that you can then take to, the, to work with you and as you advise clients and just kind of makes us better people. So I really, really appreciate you highlighting that. Well, and I'm going to, I'm down to my last couple of questions. And the first one is, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to highlight? And then after that, and knowing you've already given so much wonderful advice, but still that, that, that final um, bit of advice that you would give either to a law student or somebody navigating a legal career. 
Yeah. So I think some things that probably aren't highlighted in my bio is that I am a huge advocate of supporting women and girls to do whatever they want to do. And so, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be a lawyer like me, but it does mean that I want those individuals to have the opportunity to do what they want. So I am on a board for some time helping with, you know, women in tech. I've just always mentored on the side and I'm always happy to do so. Like I said, don't try to to boil the ocean or try to reinvent the wheel. There's always people who've done it before. And I think my piece of advice that I'd give law students or people who are starting out in this career is to make sure that you don't self-select. I think a lot of people put themselves out of the running in the fear that they won't achieve the goals that they want to achieve. Let somebody else tell you that you don't have what it takes and don't take yourself out of the running. That is fantastic advice. You saw my head nodding as you said it. And then I also often end these by asking if it's okay for someone to reach out, but I think you just said it was. So now I'm going to state listeners, if you have questions, reach out to Natasha. And with that, I'll just say thank you so much, Natasha, for being on the show. This has been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you. I'm so happy that you invited me to do this. And again, if anyone has any questions, please reach out. Absolutely. And maybe in a year or so, we'll do another one after you've you know had more time at Foley. <sighs> and done my triathlon. <laughs> and if you do your triathlon, we're definitely having you back. That's done. That's already done. All right. Thanks so much, Natasha. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner, LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. 